it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we have a, a really full episode. Um, not only do we have the recap from the ISU game, uh, we're going to talk briefly with, with Mike Plank about both the ISU game and the TCU game. Um, but obviously, the main portion of our discussion is going to be the big news that came out this afternoon, um, Sunday afternoon, that David Beatty will will be allowed to finish out the season but will not be retained after the season, which essentially is what we kind of all were expecting um, I don't know that anybody was really expecting him to to be brought back after the year, and it seemed more and more like they had no intention of actually showing him the door before the season actually ended. So uh, I think this is about the best that we can expect, And but we'll get into all of that with, with Mike. Uh, we also are going to be previewing the start of the of the basketball season. We do have Fetch joining us as well to talk about the, the game against Michigan State in the Champions Classic. Um, you know, I... I, I know that we've been getting other people to kind of help us do the previews for the games that are coming up uh, outside of Rock Chalk Talk and outside of the, the normal guests on the podcast. But um, since this is our first opportunity really to talk about game action and we still you know haven't really had a discussion about the exhibitions, it just made the most sense to go ahead and bring Fetch in. So so we're going to go ahead and, and talk about that, but uh, we'll go ahead and get started. I'll, I'll get you right on over to Mike. And I'm joined now once again. It's been a few weeks, but um, I'm joined again by Mike Plank, the editor-in-chief over there at Rock Chalk Talk. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Andy. How are you doing, sir? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. It's been quite a bit of a, a roller coaster of emotions for us KU fans recently. Um, obviously, we had the, the big last-second out-of-nowhere win against TCU um, that was both a thrilling victory to have but also had some concern about what that meant for David Beatty and his <laughs> job. 
Um, and then, of course, the world was righted again by playing against Iowa State and getting completely destroyed in a game that really wasn't as close as it as it you know as the score would seem to indicate, despite the fact that Kansas had plenty of opportunities to score. Um, you know, the big news to come out of that obviously is that David Beatty has been told that he will no longer or he will not be retained at the end of the season. But I want to I want to talk to you first about the actual game. Was there anything that came out of those games that either, you know, gives you a different outlook on, on how this season, you know, has has gone, either, you know, good for moving forward for the rest of the season or, you know, kind of explaining what we've seen so far? Um, and I guess we'll go ahead and start there. Oh, I don't I don't know. I, I honestly think both games probably went according to what we thought they were going to do, with the exception of the outcome of the TCU game. I, I mean, the – Kansas well, winning that game was a well, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, going to take, take full credit for that one. So. <laughs> uh, you got kind of lucky there, though, because statistically Kansas should not have won that game. TCU well, outgained them by by 200 yards. Um, Kansas couldn't move the ball. Uh, it's it's a miracle that they won that game uh, the way they did. Uh, I, and obviously the credit goes to the two turnovers inside the 15 yard line, um, especially when TCU was driving down for the win with under two minutes to go um that that the now infamous butt fumble so right uh, you know but but you know what we saw on the field outside of the outcome is, is pretty much what i expected uh kansas continues to struggle moving the ball on offense uh and the defense plays pretty well for a little while until you know it gets tired and and the other team starts gashing them for big for big plays and and I mean, I guess Iowa State did the gashing in the first quarter and then just kind of ran the clock out after halftime. Uh, at least that's what it seemed like to me uh, sitting in the stands was that they just um, they were just trying to get out of there without getting anybody hurt. And with the win, they didn't really care. After halftime, anyway, they didn't really care about yards or points as much anymore. Yeah, I mean, really, I think those two games, the only thing that they really reinforce is the fact that if this team is going to win anything, it's going to have to be on the defensive end. And that's really what it came down to, you know, Kansas was able to score a few things based off of a few mis- miscommunications from TCU. And, you know, given all the turmoil that they had in their program, it wasn't that surprising to see that they were having problems. Kansas offense got a few good plays. Puka did a few good things. But, again, you yeah. know, really, really the only times that they had good offensive plays in either of those two games was when, when Puka did something or when Khalil Herbert did something. Like Nobody else was really too involved in good positive plays. Um, you know, Khalil Herbert took over the I, the Iowa State game and was running like 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 crazy. Puka was you know taking short plat- passes from from Bender and turning them into big gains against TCU. So yep, um, that's really the only thing that happened offensively for us, which is kind of what we expected. And the defense had <laughs> to make huge plays in order to keep us in either of those games. The defense didn't really wasn't really able to make those plays against Iowa State, which isn't that surprising given the fact that they don't really turn the ball over very much. Um, and against TCU, they took advantage of a few, and you know the, the the butt fumble was an amazing play to to go back and watch on the replay. I didn't even get to watch that live. Like I just I heard about it, I saw everybody commenting about it, and then I had to go back and watch the replay because I was actually away from my from my TV at the time. So, um, but I mean, yeah, that, I mean that's basically you know just just like the Jets got ridiculed for when that happened and ended up losing them a game. Um, you know, that's the only reason that Kansas lost. It was something had to go horribly wrong for TCU for Kansas to be able to pull out the victory. So, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's it. 
So, and and I mean, to be honest, it, I think that that in and of itself sums up David Beatty's tenure as a, as a KU coach completely. The only games that they won were games that the they, they, the other team was either completely entirely overmatched, or the other team had a, a horrible disaster of a game. Um, you know, being, like, yeah, an insane amount of turnovers or. Right. Turnovers inside the 10 or something to that effect, yes. Right. I mean, and even a lot of the games that they were able to stay in, like that West Virginia game that they were able to stay in, um, the the one this year, you know, right, it was because right. of so many turnovers inside the red zone. The game last year, it was because, you know, West Virginia just couldn't stop the run at all, and Khalil Herbert went crazy. Yeah, so, Khalil Herbert went crazy, right. yeah. So, again, I mean, in, in David Beatty's tenure, essentially what we've seen happen is, you know, it's been it's been basically three guys. Um, Steven Sims Jr. last year, uh, or a few years ago, uh, and then Khalil Herbert or Puka Williams this year, and Khalil Herbert last year, that have kept the, the Jayhawks competitive, and then the defense has done enough to keep them competitive in a lot of those games, but it takes a huge defensive effort in the term, in, in the realm of turnovers for Kansas to really be able to stay in a game, and that, that shouldn't be the case. You know, you should be able to play a, a game plan well enough to at least be competitive without huge shenanigans offensively. So um, yeah. un- unfortunately that's really the only way that David Beatty has been able to stay in it. So, so obviously, I mean, I don't know that there's really much for us to take out of these other two, out of these two games. So I do want to go ahead and jump obviously to the big news. It was kind of leaked a little bit yesterday. Soren, Soren Petro was, was tweeting about it, um, you know, about Kansas was going to fire David Beatty. Um, but he also kind of threw out a tweet out there saying that, you know, I expect to see David Beatty on the sideline for the rest of the year. Had a lot of people confused. We got the answer to that today. You know, David Beatty will not be retained after the year, but he is going to finish coaching the rest of this year. So, um, That's what first, it sounds like, yeah. Yeah. So, so first of all, your thoughts on that? Like, is that an okay strategy? Does it really matter? Like, w- what do you make of this? Well, it's confused. It's a little confusing, I guess. Uh, but I think maybe if you think about it a little deeper, it, it maybe can make a little sense. Um, for example, uh, let's, you, you fire Beatty, you, you get him out of town, right? Uh, who do you make the interim coach? Do you, do you make it Clint Bowen, and then you run the, ri- the risk, in quotation marks, of him right. you know, beating K-State and then getting some momentum for you know, people who want him to be the head coach? I, I don't know if that's something you really want to deal with. Um, do you make it? Tony Hole, like, I mean, where do you go after that? I, I, I don't know. So, uh, by not naming an interim coach and by letting David Beatty coach out the season, um, I, I mean, I guess it save, I guess it saves you from a, a, a potential Clint Bowen, uh, you know, battle within the fan base and within the donor base. But, um, but that's the only thing I can think of. I, I, I don't. It seems if I'm David Beatty, I'm just like, mm, how about you just go ahead and write me a check and uh, I'll, I'll I'll see you all later. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like why would he, why would he want to come coach these final three games? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I think given the kind of guy he is and what we've seen of his personality, like I'm not that surprised that he agreed to do it. Um, you know, and and I mean honestly, the only the only thing he could potentially gain out of this is hey, they actually somehow show that they're competitive in the last few games. And it's like, well, maybe he actually had something, you know, so he could latch on as an offensive coordinator somewhere, could do something. Um, not that I have a lot of confidence in him being able to do enough to be able to 
immediately get another an, another job somewhere. But he will have another job somewhere. It's just a matter of who's going to take a chance on him. Uh, he might have to be a position coach um, or something like that. But he he will yeah, come back up somewhere. But I'm really, guessing he'll be a receivers coach or a recruiting coordinator somewhere. Yeah, and honestly, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see him you know somewhere down in in in, in Texas, whether he you know right. down to, you know like like a receiver coach at Texas Tech or hops onto the staff somewhere on on one of the the. I don't. Five I don't think he'll. Like that. I don't think he'll be an offensive coordinator anywhere. At least not right oh, no. away. But no, but I mean he'll, yeah. he'll he'll be working somewhere next year for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But in terms of like what this actually means, um, like why they would do this, I mean, I, I I agree. It's not like when Charlie Weiss got fired and you know you had a guy Clint Bowen who could potentially be, um, you know, the interim who might need an audition to actually see if he could be the head coach. Clint Clint Bowen on the staff has already had that audition. Obviously, we fired Doug Meacham, and I think that was kind of a preemptive move to allow that to, so that we wouldn't have that kind of situation here with him. Um, and no one else who's who's a position coach really, you know, immediately jumps out to you as a guy that we want auditioning for the head coach. We've already made that mistake with Beatty the last time. We don't really want to do that again by taking one of our position coaches and and turning them into our next head coach when they haven't had that kind of experience. We don't have any position coaches, I don't believe, that have actually been head coaches before. So it's not like there's anybody on the staff that is is ready to jump into that role or even have an audition for that role at this point so well not in college anyway tony hole was a high school coach i believe but yes yes that's that's completely different right when i when i when i talk about that right i'm talking about at the college level or even maybe at the professional level there's been times where people have come down and um, you know fallen that far to to come to be a position coach back in the college trying to reestablish themselves there but we obviously don't have that as the case um so really really what this tells me is that you know, they didn't want to. They didn't want to push anybody else into the limelight. Um, not that they really expected anybody else to, to run with it, but also the fact that, you know, Jeff Long always treated this year, I think, as a wasted year in terms of coaching. Um, you know, you can't really get anybody in when he got here to be able to say, you know, we're going to hire a new guy or we're going to kick out the old guy and try to salvage something out of this. Like this was always going to be. This is David Beatty's year. We'll let him finish out the year treat it the same way that we're, you know, unfortunately that we have with our seniors is that we, we're not going to get them after this year. So let's make, you know, let's do everything we can with them, make the best of this bad situation, and then be ready to move on next year, which really sucks for the seniors. You know, there was a lot of stuff coming out from Joe Deneen about how disappointed he was and a lot of the fans not showing up, that there were so many Iowa State fans. But essentially, I mean, that's that's what we have in this firing. It doesn't make any sense to try to bring anyone else in at this point because it's not going to make any difference. Um, it doesn't make any sense to turn the reins over to anyone else because it's not like they're going to be able to do anything else with what they have at this point. Um, so just let David Beatty run out the string. You know, if they can if they can rally and get a surprising win somewhere just to just to enjoy it, his decision has already been made. Um, so in that way, I, I like the fact that you know there's now that certainty he is not coming back next year. There's no way that he right. can sneak out a win against Kansas State, that he can sneak out a you know a win against Texas or something like that and save his job for next year. They've made that final decision. Jeff Long doesn't seem to me to be the kind of person that's going to be swayed by a surprising win um, to say, okay, now I'm going to go back on myself and I'm going to go ahead and, and decide to keep him. So at least we have that, that finality now. So, but okay. So, so talking about, I mean, we've kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, well, a lot on, on rock chalk talk, but um, obviously, you know, the biggest quote, I think, to come out of the weekend was Joe Deneen kind of taking the fans to task for allowing Iowa State to have so many additional fans there compared to KU fans. 
And well, I mean, I, I know that the first thing you're going to say is, but I mean, look at the record. I mean, it's hard to imagine that KU fans would actually come out and support something that that's, and it's not about, you know, the players or anything, but I mean, are you, do you, do you blame Joe Deneen for being upset about not having the fan support there though? I uh, would like to defer this answer for a few minutes. I, one of our commenters had an amazing response to this, and I can't for the life of me think of what it was. Um, so I'm I'm kind of going to BS as I look for that. <laughs> uh, I mean, blaming the fans has never gone over well for anybody. So I just I, – I don't know. It's not a good look. I, I guess I understand the frustration – but, I mean, he's only gone through this for, what, four years? I don't know if he's a fifth-year senior or not, four or five years. Uh, I mean, we've been going through this since Mangino left town. Right. Um, and, yeah, fans are not going to devote half or more of their Saturdays to go and watch a team get beat 27-3. to three. Uh, It's just – I don't know. It's um, – I, I don't really know how to how to feel about that. I, I, I don't like it. I, I can still understand it. I don't like it. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he, it just seems like he doesn't quite understand everything that goes into being a fan. And, and I, I get that because he's only played football his whole life. He's probably never been a fan. But And, and I don't know. I, I could be speaking out of my ass, too. I don't know. But, I mean, it's... It, it's not okay. Well, I mean, it's not okay in every sense of the word. Like, it's not okay that, that he calls out the fans who have been dealing with this. I mean, like, if I lived in the area, I probably would have gone to every single home game. And I, and I probably would have gotten to the point where I hated myself for it. Because, you know, I, I spending all the time, spending all the money going out there, sure, it's it's fun to be able to go out there and root for a team. Um, and, you know, if they, if they have a, a blip, where they're not very good, or even a few, you know, extended seasons where they're not very good, you at least have that hope that they're going to turn it around. And and even if it, you know, you go out there and you see that everybody is doing everything that they possibly can to get it turned around, and it's just not working. You can still, you know, I was a royal, I've been a Royals fan for a very very long time, so I know what that's like. I know how to deal with that. But when you lose confidence that the people that are running the program actually know what they're talking about, or are even willing to try to find out how to fix it. Which we we ended that I mean that's how we ended up with Beatty you know we talked about this in the podcast multiple times last season where you know my problem it was it was never that David Beatty was getting bad results my problem has always been that David Beatty has not shown anybody that he knows how to evaluate whether it's just the results are bad or whether it's the process that's bad and when you don't have that confidence in that team it makes absolutely no sense for you know to, you to continually financially support that that regime and to go out there and waste your time on someone that you don't think is going to make it any better. It sucks for the players. It sucks for everybody involved, but it sucks for the fans too. You know, I enjoy getting a chance to turn on a game and think that my team has a shot to at least be competitive. I I miss the ability to be able to turn on a game and to actively root for every single person that wears the crimson and blue. I, I got to the point I couldn't actively root for a lot of the coaching staff because they didn't take responsibility for what they were doing. You know, they didn't seem to be taking their job seriously in a lot of cases. 
And I mean, you, you, I always rooted for every single player that came out there. And I always wanted to be there for every single player that was out there because you could tell that the players really cared about what's going on. You could tell they put their all into it. And that's the kind of effort that you want to support. But when you don't have that effort coming from the people that make the decisions about the program, it is very hard to continue to financially and emotionally support that type of program until there has been change. And while I, I, you know, unfortunately, the people that it hurts the most are the players. And Joe Deneen being upset and being frustrated about it is completely understandable. And I also understand he's probably not going to go and criticize the people that give him the opportunity to actually play. But criticizing the people that want to be there to support him doesn't really do any good as well. I heard of countless stories of fans that, you know, have come from, and, and you can see it on Twitter comments, you can see it all over the place, people that drive three, four hours to be able to get to a game you know, have to spend a lot of money of their own to be able to get to every single one of the games. And when it looks like they're not being taken seriously, the fans aren't being taken seriously, they're, they're just not able to do it anymore. They can't financially afford it. They can't, they can't deal with that emotional toll that it takes on them. And I don't blame the fans one bit for not coming when it looks like the, the, the team that you, you know, are rooting for doesn't care anymore because that's really what it comes down to the players always care because they're the ones out there playing but when the people that run the program it looks like they don't care it's hard to get behind that program and to continue to come and support them the way that you know most players should be supported so um, it really sucks for everybody involved you know now that we have new leadership in there in Jeff Long and hopefully when we have new leadership in there in coaching we can get excited around the guy that's coming that immediately we'll see that change next season it just sucks that it's a season too late for Joe Deneen to really see the fruits of that um, but, you know, it's not that the fans aren't supporting the team. It's not the fans aren't supporting the players. You know, they're just fed up with the organization. And they're, they're the only way that they can show that to the organization is by choosing not to support them financially. And I'm sorry, I just kind of took over there. So <laughs> did that give you enough time to find the response that you were talking about? No, I can't find it at all. Uh, I don't have any idea who did it. I know I saw something, but. Yeah. And unfortunately, I'm not sure if it was out on the site or if it was out on Twitter or whatever. But I mean, well, I, I thought it was, but it may have been on Twitter. I can't remember. I mean, I saw a lot of people giving a lot of very personal and very poignant statements about that. You know, talking about. I mean, and and me. You know, I'm I'm out here in Virginia. Um, you know, so I can't get back for home games. I wish I really wish I could. If I lived closer, I probably again I'd be at every single one of them, most likely. Um, but, you know, I just I just I, I can't and I can understand people that aren't able to do it uh, or even those that were able to do it, but can't make that kind of commitment anymore. So um, it really sucks for him. It really sucks for everybody involved. So. All right. So so moving forward, obviously, you know, we're not expecting anybody on this staff to really get retained. There's a small chance a guy like Tony Hall might get retained by whoever the new coach is, but that's going to be the new coach's decision, or at least it should be. Um, I think I think it'd be worse for everybody involved if we went into this with them saying you have to retain any particular guy off the staff. We already, we already are pretty sure that it bit us in, you know, bit us once when we, when we had that condition for Clint Bowen needing to stay on staff when David Beatty got hired. Um, if we, if we did that again, I would, I would lose confidence in, in this, in this team. So, uh, but so anything, anything you can think of moving forward in terms of, you know, does this change anything for the last few games? Does it change anything about your thoughts about the program for the rest of the year? No, why should it? Um, I, uh, I, I, this is maybe a little off topic, but I'm still 
a little taken aback by how badly, at least the K-State fans I know, want Bill Snyder fired. I mean, that, that team is three plays away from being six and three. Um, and a lot of them think they're losing to Kansas next week. And I just, I just keep saying, guys, you, you don't understand how bad we are. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just, I, I, I don't expect to win in Manhattan. I don't obviously expect to knock off Oklahoma or Texas. Like, um, and, and that doesn't change with, with Beatty getting fired. I mean, Maybe now that he knows that he's gone, he'll be, um, you know, a little bit more uh, aggressive, I guess. Maybe we'll see some more trick plays. Maybe we'll see some more fourth down attempts, you know, um, deep passes, that type of stuff. And maybe we'll just see the same crap we've seen for the previous 39 games. I don't know. And, and and I'll get into that a little bit more with our, with our guests that we're going to have coming up for the Kansas State game. But essentially, I mean, I – I think that there's still a decent shot that Kansas actually wins this game just because they can they have the guys on offense that can make the big plays occasionally. Kansas State has looked absolutely horrible. Um, they're completely falling apart. And I, I mean, I don't think that has anything to do with the, this Beatty situation, though. Like, we potentially could have won that game anyway just because, um, you know, Kansas State is literally coming apart at the seams. Um, I can understand why they want him gone. You know, you why never want though? Yeah, yeah, they really are. Like they they do not look like a coherent team at all. And I've read a lot of stuff both nationally and from from some of the guys over at Bring on the Cats, um, you know, talking about some of the specific things that have happened and some of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. You don't necessarily get to, you know, hear all the time. Um that Bill Snyder seems to be kind of losing touch with the reality of his program, um, is pushing a lot of things that are not effective, despite the fact that he knows that they're not effective. Um, I can understand why people want to move on before it's too late and he completely destroys that program by not paying attention to how the game is changing from what he's done. Um, but Bill Snyder has always been a, a man of, you know, his his own habits where, you know, he's been doing it for so long and it seems to have been working for him. So he's not going to change anything. That Kansas State team doesn't really change too much from year to year. And it's finally gotten to the point where it does. It just doesn't seem like he's able to continue to do it the way that he wants to do it. And for it to be successful. So I can understand why people want to move on. Um, it's honestly, it's very, very, very similar to why we wanted to move on from Beatty. That, you know, it's not being successful anymore. We see things getting worse. You know, we had to move on. We just fortunately didn't have Beatty just, be super successful and then it fall off a cliff. And so then it's really hard to figure out when he should actually go. Just stop. They lost to Texas by five. They lost to TCU by one. They lost to Baylor by three. If they had won those three games, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. They have they lost to Mississippi State. Their big losses: Mississippi State, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. Those are all top fifteen, top twenty teams. Like those aren't. Yeah, they got destroyed in those games. But guess what? K State's not a top twenty-five team. They're supposed to not win those games. I mean, K State is is right where they should be, and that's a tough reality for K State fans who are used to winning. And I, you know, maybe K State fan is just living in the past too much. Maybe they're turning into Nebraska fans or something. But sorry, guys, it's not 1998 anymore. Like. Well, but but it's also part of the thing too is you know they recently have had that success and they see it going downhill, and so wanting to move on from him before it gets to the point where they are having the same problems that we're having in terms of how badly they're losing all the time, how you know how horrible they're having. No, no, we did, we just covered. We just we I, I just told you they're not losing that bad. They almost beat Texas. 
They almost beat TCU. They almost beat Baylor. They're not getting destroyed in Big 12 play the way Kansas did. No, not yet. But it's trending that way. Like, it's been getting worse. It's not. So, well, again, I I mean, I'm not a a K-State expert, but I can understand why people are feeling the way that they're feeling. I mean, you know, if it is going to continue that way, obviously we as Kansas fans would like K-State to kind of slip a little further before they get any better. Well, so Obviously, yeah. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not like we're a little unbiased in this. I can understand where they're coming from. I've seen that sort of thing with the slow progression, you know, moving down and falling off. So I can understand them wanting to go ahead and make that change. But um, Yeah, but, do I want Bill Snyder to, to leave Manhattan? Yeah, the dude has been a pain in our ass for 30 years now, but – I just I feel like the the reaction by K State fans of this season is way out of proportion to how well their team is is playing, or how badly the perception is that they're playing. However you want to say it. Yeah. Well, so I had planned on our last topic being um, well talking about the the national indication that you know it's 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 a shame that Beatty's getting fired because he just needed more time but I actually am planning on putting out an article about this so I don't really want to spoil a lot of that but I will I will kind of leave us with the point that it, it is definitely ridiculous that you know people are saying oh well he just needed more time or that he's improving the program uh, you know that that the team is better than the one that he took over and all of that stuff so um, I will let you rant about that for just a minute if you'd like to um, but I will be actually putting out an article on this later this week so um, well, I will also be putting out something similar. I'm not going to steal your thunder by any means, but I, I'm planning something called Why David Beatty Got Fired, which is I did something similar with Zinger. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but, but I mean, the, there's a myriad of reasons, obviously. Um, the win-loss record is the primary reason. Uh, but, but, you know, the other reasons, uh, the, not being able to find a quarterback, um, not playing his best quarterback when they did find one, uh, <clears throat> team Bender, or I'm sorry, <clears throat> Team Carter. <clears throat> anyway, uh, and then, you know, the things that – a lot of the game day issues that were present in year one that were still present in year four, and I wrote about this a lot the last two days, uh, clock management, substitution errors, timeout management, fourth down play calling, uh, you know, uh, fourth and punt – or timeout and punt, I guess we call it. Uh, these are all issues that have – always existed for David Beatty and not a single one of them has ever gotten better. Uh, the, the status of the 2019 recruiting class, uh, the sheer number of junior college transfers in the last two classes, 24 junior college uh, transfers uh, versus 21 high school recruits. That's, I mean, that's over 50%. That's, that's Charlie Weiss numbers there. Um, and then there's other things that have happened during his regime. There was the, um, there was the running clock at TCU. Uh, <laughs> there was the, uh, the Iowa state game last year where they didn't cross their own 35 yard line until the last drive of the game. Um, just the general offensive ineptitude. Kansas has been dead last in offense for the last 10 years in the big 12 for the last 10 years. And yeah, only four of those are on Beatty, but four of those are on Beatty. Right. Um, and then, uh, the, the trans, the players that have left the program, uh, Montel Cozart. 10 wins at Boise State. Jay Sternberger, starting tight end at Texas A&M. Uh, you know, he's got, I don't know, 10 or so touchdowns this year. I mean, he's having a crazy year. Uh, and then uh, you've got um, Ryan Willis at Virginia Tech. Yeah, he wasn't the starter coming out of camp. Their their first stringer got injured, but since taking over, he's put up crazy good numbers. 
Um, it, I mean, it's, <sighs> it's I'm out of breath. Yep, I know. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, we do have some more coming up on this episode talking about basketball. So that'll give the, the listener something more, more enjoyable to talk about. Something Mike, more positive. All right. Yeah, good but, deal. But Mike, thank you for joining me tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Have a good one. Yeah. And that's it for the football portion of our episode for the day. Uh, let's let's jump just right on over into the interview with Fetch about the the basketball game. And I'm joined now by Steve Fetch. He's our our basketball editor over at Rock Chalk Talk. Fetch, how are you doing tonight? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So so it sounds like you were able to watch both of the exhibition games. I was not as fortunate to be able to watch them, but it sounds like there was a lot to come out of those games. Does that sound about right? Yeah, you know, they, uh, I guess up and down would probably be the way to describe it, which is, you know, pretty, um, pretty reasonable to expect when you're, uh, replacing Devontae Graham, Sue Mikhailuk, and, and, uh, Malik Newman. So I don't think that I'm, um, as pessimistic as some people seem to be. And we can obviously dig into that, uh, as we go along. But yeah, I, you know, certainly you would have uh, hoped that they would have come out and won by 50 points in, in both games, but uh, certainly the Washburn game was a little bit more uh, helter-skelter than than you would hope, for sure. Yeah, I think what's weird about this year is that normally we have a really good idea of what the rotation is going to look like, and so we use the, you know, these exhibitions as an opportunity to get a look at some of the other guys, um, kind of tune some things up, like work on things that we're not really sure, you know, like what it's going to look like here. You know, I mean, it's really hard other than Dedrick Lawson, of course, is going to start because he's probably going to be a player of the year candidate. You know, Doke is obviously going to start. Um, and Quentin Grimes, like he seems way too talented to not be starting. But other than that, like we've still got a lot of question marks about who's going to be where, who's going to be in the main rotation that we don't usually have this time of year. Like normally Bill Self knows who he's going to, to play. And so it's not really a big issue. Yeah, um, you know, Dieter Klaassen, uh, I suppose we should probably just jump right into it. I mean, he was dominant in, in both of those games, kind of did it more um, on the inside uh, in their opener. And then uh, against Washburn was kind of more on the outside. Um, Kansas went to a little bit more of that four out, one in look that they've employed the last couple of years with uh, Dieter Klaassen at the four, which is obviously a little bit of a difference uh, having him at the four versus, you know, Josh Jackson two years ago and then. Uh, you know, either Mikhailuk or Vic or, or Marcus Garrett at the four last year. So, yeah. uh, but he did go, you know, four for four from three uh, on Thursday night against Washburn. And obviously, you know, if he's uh, shooting, well, he's not going to shoot a hundred percent, obviously, but you know, if he's shooting a, a reasonable percentage from three, you can stick him out there at the four. And uh, that really presents a, a real problem for uh, anyone that they're going to face uh, this year. So, that's something that I think they'll probably experiment with uh, a little bit, but he's also obviously vers- versatile enough to kind of play the four man in a, in a high low look and then also the five. So uh, he's really the the weapon that I think Kansas is going to lean on all year. And, and he was just incredible uh, in those exhibition games for sure on, on both ends of the floor. I mean, let's not overlook uh, how well he played defensively as well. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's run through a few of the other guys. I mean, Dedrick Lawson, obviously I think was, the expectation he was going to play well and he was going to be the main guy. But, um, you know, I, let's let's run through a few guys. Yudoka Azubuke, I mean, it seems like from what I was able to see, you know, he was 
basically par for the course, dominant in stretches, but there were times where he kind of disappeared a little bit. Um, is that a fair assessment or was I just not watching the right parts? No, I, I think that that's uh, totally fair. I think in the opener um, against Emporia State, they really tried to force feed it to him uh, a little bit. Um, and that led to some turnovers and, and led to him catching it in some spots where he probably doesn't want to be catching it where he'd have to, you know, put the ball on the floor a couple of times or make an elaborate post move, which isn't really his game. I mean, a lot of his scoring is done before he catches the ball. Um, obviously he can score with, you know, a, a hook that he uh, displayed last year. But um, like I said, a lot of his work is done before he catches the ball. He likes to seal and, and catch and dunk. And in that second matchup uh, against Washburn, you know, he did a lot better job uh, getting position, did a lot better job running the floor and, and making sure he's in position early um, so that they're not having to wait until the end of the shot clock to get him the ball and stuff. And uh, then the, the rest of the team, I think, did a, a pretty good job of not forcing it to him, but when he was open, um, getting it to him in a good spot. And, and one play that I uh remember specifically i guess i don't remember the actual um situation of the game but uh you know charlie moore brought it up uh on the break a little bit and, and as he was running the floor and and moore threw it over his uh his left shoulder um which is the correct shoulder to throw it over to uh in that case since he was uh you know just had to turn catch and dunk um when you know kind of the uh i guess standard quote-unquote play would have been to to lead him over the right shoulder because that's the way he was running and this is obviously uh i'm sure a great radio to listen to me try to describe this play without accompanying video but um basically you know he, he threw it to the right hand and over the right shoulder where uh as Buki just had to to make a catch and dunk so that was nice to see and, and that's obviously um probably not going to be um as big of a part of their offense this year uh as it was last year i mean i think they really um obviously they took a lot more threes last year but i think when they got the ball Inside, they really tried to throw it over the top to him, um, which probably won't be uh, as much of the case this year. But it is nice to, you know, have the guy who led the nation in two-point field goal shooting um, almost as an afterthought in your offense. Yeah, I mean, and last year it was more out of necessity. I mean, they really needed some sort of inside presence, and that was the best way to do it. Whereas this year, they've got so many more options. Um, and, of course, a guy like Dedrick Lawson that, you know, is able to kind of create his own shot. Um, can can really do a lot more things off the dribble as opposed to what Udoka was able to do. So yeah, it's definitely still going to going to be in the offense to keep them honest um, on everyone else. But you know, Doke, I it's it's weird to think of how important of a player he was last year. Even in like the twenty, I think he averaged like twenty two minutes a game last year. Um, you know, he's probably not one of the top five most important players in terms of you know, guys we really need to get their game going to have a good shot. Um, or maybe he is like in that five range, but you know, it's just, it's really weird. Some guy that was, that was that much of a focal point for us last year, um, is definitely a really nice guy to have. And he's going to open a lot of things up, but I, I, again, I don't think he's going to be as important to this offense as a lot of other guys are. Well, I I do, I do think one thing that uh, is going to be really important, um, where he's concerned is, you know, you can't really single cover him. I mean, you have to have uh, shading over the top. Um, you know, you have to double him when he catches it and stuff like that. And, um, with Kansas, you know, not having the most three point shooting they've had in the last few years. I mean, they definitely have guys who can shoot it, but obviously it's a step down from, from having Graham and, and Mikhail Luke and Mason and stuff around the perimeter. So, um, having, you know, Kazbuki suck that help down, uh, is probably going to be, um, a good way to open up open threes for guys. And, and I think that 
maybe the three-point shooting won't be uh, as bad this year as maybe we were afraid of because guys are going to be taking uh, some more open shots than they did last year when, you know, last year was a little bit more, you know, you can't really leave any of those guys to go uh, dig down too hard on as a book here, go double them too much. Whereas this year, I think they're probably going to be uh, a little bit more eager to leave guys on the perimeter um, because they're quote unquote weaker shooters. So um, you're going to get, give some of those guys uh, some more open threes. So I think that's going to be a big help. And I think that's kind of a big part of, of where his importance is going to be this year for sure. Not only that, but I think the interior passing is going to pick up a little bit more, uh, make it a little easier to kind of open up those those uh, three-point shots. And, and that's really what the team needed to do last year. Like most of the weapons were on the perimeter. And so you had to, you know, you really had to protect against three-point shots last year. Whereas now, you know, Diedrich is going to be down low. We're going to have Yudoka down low. We're going to have a lot of guys down low. That can be a much bigger portion of the offense. And so they're going to have to actually protect against it. Uh, whereas last year, I mean, it was it was essentially – you know, you could you could almost telegraph when it was going to go down low as kind of a, a token, throw it down low to try to open up a guy on the perimeter last year. That's not going to be the case this year. They're going to have to respect that. It's going to open things up a little bit more on the perimeter. Um, I do think, and, and I mean, I'll still stand by my statement that, you know, there, Vic is probably going to be a pretty good three-point shooter this year. I do think that there's going to be enough coming from the other guys to really – um, I guess minimize the necessity of Vic playing a lot and playing well at the three or shooting the three. Um, we're going to have a few other guys that are going to pick it up. We didn't, we didn't necessarily see any individual person do it um, in the, in the two exhibitions, but there are definitely enough seeds there of guys that can get hot from three, that it's going to be a more well-rounded effort than I think people are giving him credit for this year. So, all right. So let's jump into one of the other one of the other players. Uh, the one that's kind of come up a lot that I was seeing is, is uh, KJ Lawson. Um, you know, he actually played really well in the first game, and I, I had a lot of people on my Twitter timeline that were really singing his praises about you know this is validation for him. He's playing really well, and I think there was actually somebody who even tweeted um, you know at, at Jesse Newell who had said that KJ was probably going to be one of the, one of the better guys. Um, I believe he had him pretty high in our rankings, but then he completely disappeared in the second game. Um, do you think that that's kind of what we're going to see from him? He'll be up and down. He'll have some really good games and really bad games, or was there just something going on against Washburn that he just couldn't get his shot going? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, he, his percentage um, at Memphis uh, was pretty bad. I think it was sub 30%. I don't have their uh, Ken Palm page open in front of me right now, but I'm pretty sure it was sub 30%, which, you know, when you're a wing these days, you, you just can't do. Um, that being said, you know, the shot didn't look bad or anything. Um, so I, I don't really know uh, what the issue is. Um, looks like he's got a, you know, pretty good form and he repeats it well. And, and it's, you know, pretty smooth and all that stuff. So um, certainly I'm not expecting him based on his numbers to be like a 40% three-point shooter. But I certainly, um, you know, if he gets the playing time, would probably expect him to shoot maybe like in the mid 30%, which um, isn't great. But, you know, I think you certainly can live with it. Um, the big problem, um, you know, where where he's at, uh, from my point of view, is, you know, the, the three-man in Bill Self's offense basically is like a, a stand-there three-point shooter. Um, so you kind of do need to be able uh, to shoot a high percentage in order to play the three for Bill Self. So um, his role is, is probably, if he gets to play, is, is more of that small ball four type guy um, slashing the basket and stuff like that. 
Um, the other issue uh, with me is, you know, the turnovers. Um, turned it over a little bit too much, uh, especially in that second exhibition. And I think that the the defense, which is something that he was heralded for coming from Memphis, was uh, not quite up to par, which, you know, could be uh, adjusting to a new defensive system, although he obviously had the, the transfer year to learn it. Um, but it's obviously a lot different when you're doing it in a, a game situation versus a practice. Um, so, you know, it could be that, uh, it could be just, you know, him getting used to game speed again. Um, certainly I would, um, put a little bit more, um, faith in the performance that he had at Memphis. Cause that's, you know, full seasons of college basketball versus two exhibition games. But, um, Bill Self's obviously going to need to see him play a little bit better defense, um, starting in practice and then, you know, in his playing time in order to get regular playing time. So right now it certainly looks like he's probably the odd man out. Uh, on the perimeter uh, as of right now. Yeah, it's a little weird because I, I am. I actually went over to their Mem- to the Memphis uh, Ken Palm page from the year that they from the last year that they played. He shot thirty two point eight percent from three, um, but he was utilized mainly as a power forward, like playing at the four, um, where his brother was playing at the five for them for pretty much the entire year. Was it, so I don't mean to interrupt you here. Was it Diedrich that was sub thirty percent then from three? Uh, Diedrich, yes, Diedrich was okay. at, was at twenty seven percent. So, okay, I had it mixed up then. All yeah, right. No, no, that's all right. So, I mean, KJ had a pretty good percent. I mean, actually, it was second highest on the team. So, um, not, I mean, 30, 33% isn't phenomenal, but it's also not really that bad, especially for a guy that's playing at the four. Um, the difference here being, obviously, he's not playing at the four anymore here. Um, he might occasionally play at the four if we go to a really small lineup, but... For the most part, he's going to be playing at the three, when, and they need to shoot a little bit better there to really get the good the good playing time. Um, I do think that that might be part of the defensive issues as well. He's playing a different position, uh, so he's going to have to defend a little bit differently than what he's used to. And, and even going into last year, I mean, I, if I remember correctly, when they went over to play overseas, you know, he was playing a lot of time at the three and four, um, so not necessarily in the same role that he's even playing right now. So uh, it may just be that it's all new for him. Of course, we have so many talented guys on this team. It's it's hard to see him getting a large amount of time there, um, especially being able to just play a lot of time at one position. I, I, I imagine he's probably going to have to move around to a few different positions to really see significant playing time. So that may be a trouble for him all year long in that he's just he's trying to get used to the position that they have him playing. He's not playing what he's used to playing. It's going to be a little bit of a transition for him, not saying that he can't be successful there, but I'm also not ex- really expecting him to, to jump in and, and make a huge, a huge impact on this team until maybe later in the year when he's had a time to kind of settle into a role. So um, another guy I want to talk about Quentin Grimes. Uh, all I've been hearing is good things about him, that he's a pretty clear one and done type player. Um, how, how impressed have you been with him in these, in these two games? Yeah, the uh, the box score numbers weren't great uh, in the game against Washburn, um, but it was one of those things where, you know, he didn't really make any um, obvious mistakes. Uh, and kind of the, the book on Grimes coming into the year um, is that he's not one of these guys who um, goes in and absolutely takes over a game kind of unless he needs to type deal. He kind of prefers to be a prefers Behind to be a facilitator. Team. Yeah, prefers yeah. to kind of blend in and, and stuff like that, which, um, you know, really makes him, I think, perfect. Uh, for the NBA, and I think he's going to shoot up draft boards just because of his versatility. But 
um, yeah, you're, you're probably going to get some games um, like he had on Thursday night where he didn't really uh, fill up the box score a ton, didn't really do a ton, but um, you sure, you sure saw, um, you know, the shooting ability. Uh, he's got a really nice three point shot. I think he's a guy who can step in and, um, you know, probably not going to shoot it as well as a, a gram or a Svee or someone like that, because, you know, that's kind of a lot of expectations to put on someone, but um, I certainly think he can come in and uh, shoot the ball really well as a freshman. Um, you saw his passing ability more so in that first game. Um, right. Where he's, he's able to, you know, really find the open man um, really well, um, both in terms of in the half court uh, and in transition. Uh, and then the defense, you know, I was, I was pretty impressed um, with his defense as well. Um, so that's going to be obviously the big thing that keeps him on the floor. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really impressed with him. And I think as he goes forward, he's only going to get better. So uh, sky's the limit for him, for sure. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a little weird because, to be honest, until these last couple games and people really started to hype him up, I didn't really think of him as a one-and-done, like obvious one-and-done type player. I thought he was going to be a talented freshman coming in, but – um, lost in, you know, all the hype about how big of a recruiting class or a, a, a transfer class this has been is really, you know, some, some of these freshmen and how good they're actually going to be, whether it's this year or, or coming into next year. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to actually see Grimes in some, in some uh, real game action. I think he could end up being the difference maker in quite a few of our games, just with, you know, how quick he is and, how how good his his defense is supposed to be at this point. So, yeah one one thing I do hope um, I, I forgot about this too is um, I I certainly hope that he gets to play a lot of um, either one two or four um, just because like I said you know the three in Bill Self's offense is a little bit more of a, a stand there uh, shoot open threes type guy and I think that that would really you know kind of be a shame because it would really limit his effectiveness. I mean he's really good with the ball in his hands. He's a really good passer. Um, Good, you know, good enough uh, slasher. I don't think that that's uh, his main weapon, um, at least through the two games that I've seen. And, and who knows, you know, how representative of his actual skill set that is. But, um, you know, he's a he's a good cutter off the ball as well, uh, which you don't do it a ton uh, as the three man in the Bill Self offense. So uh, certainly, I think if he's either playing in the backcourt or as a four, that's going to really maximize his abilities. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, all right. So then I think, well, there's one more guy. I, I, I do want to talk about Vic, but first I want to talk about the two, the two point guard candidates um, in, in Charlie Moore and Devin Dotson. Um, it seems like they've kind of been neck and neck for, for quite a while in terms of who's probably going to be the starter coming into the year. Um, did it, did either of them really establish themselves? I didn't get to watch a lot of either of these two guys play in, in the limited amount of time that I actually sure. Saw. Sure. For for me, Charlie Moore is ahead. Um, I think if you ask around, I'm probably the only person on that island right now. Um, but I just think, you know, he, he's the better passer, um, which I think Kansas needs. Um, I also think he's the better defender. I don't know that, you know, in time that that's going to be the case. I mean, Devin Knotson, I think, is a little bit quicker, although, I mean, they're, you know, they're both incredibly quick. Um, right. But Devin Knotson does have a, probably a little bit more burst. Um, shooting wise, you know, I think they're probably going to end up being pretty similar. Um, although Charlie Moore had that nice day, uh, from three in the first game against Emporia State, but yeah, defensively, you know, and this is something that you see with a lot of freshmen. I mean, he's not great off the ball. He gets lost a little bit, um, one-on-one -on, -one on the perimeter. He's not terrible. Um, but just kind of when the, when the ball goes away, um, you know, he kind of loses his attention span a little bit, um, which again is something that 
you know, happens a lot with freshmen and, and you got to think he's going to learn and improve on that. And so I think his ceiling's probably higher than Charlie Moore's, but um, right now I think Charlie Moore is the better player and, and I think probably should start and get the majority of the minutes. But um, I get the sense that I'm in the disagreement or in disagreement with uh, most KU fans and, and probably Bill Self, given the way that he's talked about both of them. So um, I guess, you know, maybe don't listen to me and, and actually listen to Bill <laughs> Self on this one. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's, it's also one of those things where he, he has been known in the past to talk up one player to light a fire under another player. Well, um, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's so a good point too. You, you can't know? really read too much into what he's saying, especially at this point in the year. Like once we actually get some, some real games under our belts, you know, we'll start to be able to kind of tell, how is he really talking about these guys? What is he trying to do with them? Is he trying to motivate them by, you know, talking up another guy? Or is he really just that impressed with this guy and that guy's actually going to get the start? So, I, you know, the other thing that we've seen a lot from from Bill Self, he tends to favor upperclassmen um, just because they've had more time in his system. Also, he typically, you know, is is not – well, especially early in the season, he favors the upperclassmen and then is not afraid to go to the more talented freshmen or, or lower classmen once they've actually proved themselves. So I would not be surprised to see Charlie Moore start the year, um, especially that game against Michigan State, um, just because he is the more complete player. And it's not like they have a cakewalk schedule at the beginning of the year that they can, you know, you know, work some guys in and get them used to it and then and then really hit, hit, hit the ground running. They really need him uh, to really be off and, and starting against Michigan State. That's going to be a really tough game for them. And knowing Bill Self, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to use this as a learning opportunity. He really wants to win that game. So we'll see what he does. But I do have a sneaking suspicion just based off of Charlie Moore's time with the team last year overseas, what we're able to see from him there, um, that unless Devin Dotson is just completely blowing them away in practice, it seems like Charlie Moore will probably get the start for the beginning of the year. But, you know, it may only be two or three games before Devin Dotson takes over that 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 starting role. So um, any other final thoughts on that before we talk about Vic? No, I, I think you're I think you're pretty correct on that one. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's talk about some Vic. I actually I want to hear what you think about Vic because I no. <laughs> um, this is another one where I think I might be in the disagreement with a lot of people. So I want I want to hear you first. So everything I've been hearing is saying that oh well you know Vic is going to be the guy that's going to lead the team in three point shooting. He's going to be like that crucial piece of what we need for three point shooting. Um, and if he doesn't have it going, then then KU sunk because, you know, they don't have enough good three-point shooters. And I, honestly, I think that's a bunch of crap. Um, look, he's going to be a good guy, uh, like a good piece for them. And, it you know, I, I did see a few things on Twitter, a few video clips where it looks like he might be more of a senior leader than we were really expecting. Um, but, you know, they have enough veteran presence on here that Vic does not have to be the guy. If he If he ends up turning into that senior leader, kind of being a voice of the team, um, being that secondary coach on the floor, then he will start to get more time. Um, but, you know, just given the history that he's had with Bill Self, the problems that they've had in the past with their personalities clashing and things like that, uh, I'm not I'm not convinced that he's going to get that time early. It's going to take a while for him to work to be a major part of the rotation. Um, you know, if, if other guys don't get the three going quickly, then I, I could see him coming in at some key moments in these first few games just to try to settle everyone down, to try to get some sort of spark going. Uh, but it's going to take a while for him to be one of the main guys, um, regardless of, of how hot he is from three. I also don't think that he's going to be the only guy that's going to get hot from three. Um, I've heard a decent amount about Quentin Grimes shot coming along. Um, you know, some, some other guys that I'm kind of looking to in that uh, Charlie Moore supposedly is shooting decently from three. 
I don't know if that's going to continue or not, but, um, you know, Marcus Garrett's another guy that we actually have, haven't even talked about yet, but, um, I've, you know, again, I haven't seen a lot from him, but everyone that I've talked to said that his stroke looks a whole lot better this year than I did last year. And he's a guy that I see could having a big year from three as well. So again, I mean, I don't think LeGerald Vick is going to be as important of a piece as a lot of people seem to think that he's going to be. Um, I do think he could work his way into that if he develops enough during the year, but just given the history he's had with Bill Self, I just, I just don't see it yet. Yeah, I think, um, I think that that's kind of right. I mean, I, you know, I think he should just be a kind of open three point shooter. Um, I don't think that his stroke has really changed too much. I mean, I guess I could just be, you know, misremembering what it looked like the last couple of years, but I don't think it's really changed too much. Um, Certainly when it goes in, it looks good. And when it doesn't, it looks ugly. You know, he's got kind of one of those. But um, defensively, I will say, you know, off the ball, he looks a little bit more engaged this year than he did last year. And it looks more engaged on the ball than he did last year as well, too. So, you know, it might be a thing where he knows he needs to fight for every little bit of playing time he, he's got. And, you know, there might be some, like, senior leadership stuff going on there as well. Um, took a couple of pretty bad pull-up twos, which you don't love to see. Uh, from anyone, uh, especially, you know, if it's Diedrich Lawson, I think, you know, you can live with it just because, you know, that might be the price of admission to get all of his other good stuff. Um, and kind of, you know, same thing with a guy like Quentin Grimes, where, you know, you got to put up with maybe a, a couple of bad shots in order to get all the good stuff that he does for you. But with a guy like Vic, you know, and, and really any other role player, um, you really want to maximizing the shot attempts that they do get, uh, which is basically transition dunks and uh, open threes. So, um, I don't think he's going to be a guy that KU is going to uh, really lean on this year. Um, I wouldn't really be too worried about that. Um, but I, I do think he's a guy who, you know, might swing a game or two for him with, you know, a couple of energy plays and and uh, a couple of three-point makes. Yeah, I mean, looking back at his at his Kempom uh, page from last year, you know, he was at 37.3% last year, which – I mean, it's, is a, it's a decent percent, but it wasn't, you know, it was fourth best on the team. Uh, now, granted, we had some guys that were really, really lighting it up from three last year. So, um, but, you know, he is, he actually would have, or has the best career three-point shooting percentage of anyone on the team at this point, which honestly is, isn't saying a lot from a bunch of, you know, transfers or, or big men that don't really typically shoot very often. So, um, so, I mean, he definitely is like the guy coming back that has the most experience shooting threes and being that kind of three point shooter. But I also am not really, you know, expecting him to be the only guy that's going to be able to shoot him this year. And so I think that's where a lot of people probably have it wrong in that they're really expecting, um, you know, they're, they're really expecting him to be the only three point threat that we have. And there's, there, there's enough other guys that are talented enough that can shoot it consistently enough that the Vic's not going to have to be the only guy. And actually I misspoke. I actually went back and looked the only, the only guy on the roster that has a better three point shooting percentage than him would be Mitch Lightfoot, who obviously hasn't shot nearly as many of them, but um, you know, he actually has been, it's, 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 it's kind of weird. He has a, he's a four, a 40% three point shooter. Um, now granted, he's only shot 20 in his career, but still <laughs> kind of surprised me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I, I don't think anyone's expecting Lightfoot to be a three-point shooter this year. In fact, if he shoots a three, Bill Self should probably throw, pull him off the floor immediately. So, 
All right. So any other guys on the roster that you wanted to talk about? I know we didn't really talk about Marcus Garrett. I don't know how much there really is to say at this point, just with all the other guys we have. Um, did he make any plays that really stood out to you during the uh, X? Ex- no, I mean, it was it was kind of just, you know, he had a couple of nice uh, passes and, and had one nice like coast to coast take. Um, I will say, you know, I, th- I think his shot looks a little bit better. Um, I don't think he's going to shoot it terribly well, but, you know, I don't think he's going to sit there and wait for you know 10 seconds in order to take a three so that that should be a little bit of a improvement as well but no I mean it's you know it was kind of the the Marcus Garrett that you kind of expected I think well and and honestly I think Marcus Garrett's his biggest contribution to this team was always going to be his his defense I mean he's he's been a really good defender in his time here um you know his shot's been a little bit uneven at times but it was definitely better last year when he got used more often um, but I mean, he still, you know, he still wasn't one of the major contributors. You know, if, if you look on Ken Palm, he was in that limited roles section where he gets uses 12 to 16% of possession. So, um, he didn't really shoot a lot last year. I remember him playing some pretty good defense at times. So, you know, I, that's really what his role is going to be. I think is is more of that defensive guy that comes in to help try to lock the other team down in limited roles. Um, uh, you know, un- un- unfortunately, there was just so much additional talent that came in that kind of, you know, took over the spot that he was probably going to get this year. He is only a sophomore, though, so there's going to be plenty of opportunity for him. Um, I'm just I'm just not expecting big things from him this year. Not anything not because of anything that he's done, just because of how many other guys we have at this point that can do things that he can't do yet. So. All right. So let's turn to, I guess, the main the main uh, you know topic that we have for tonight. Obviously, the season starts um, by by the time this this comes out on Monday. It'll be tomorrow on Tuesday um, against Michigan State in the Champions Classic. So first, the first thing I want to ask you is, do you like them moving the Champions Classic to the first game of the season as opposed to giving us two or three warm up games beforehand? Yeah, I, I do actually. Um, I think it's nice to have kind of a, a quote unquote event for the opening night. It does kind of suck that this year, you know, it's it's on election night, so. That's going to be uh, a little different. Um, I'm sure that uh, attention is going to be split, to say the least. Um, but uh, in general, you know, I think it's going to work out most years as a as an opening night thing versus, uh, you know, second game or third game of the year. Yeah, and, and I will second the PSA you put out on, on Twitter, you know, especially if, if you're listening to this podcast. Do not skip out on going to vote in your, in your local election just because the game is on. Um, you know, if you have to pick one or the other, be a few minutes late for the game and make sure you go cast a ballot because all those elections are really, really important. Um, obviously sports is a, is a great pastime for a lot of us, but it's not more important than making sure that, you know, we try to get the country running in, in the best way that we possibly can. So, um, but yeah, so the game itself, um, Michigan state is ranked number 10 in the, in the AP poll. I believe it is, um, you know, they're 13th. It looks like in Ken Palm. Uh, coming into the season. So, I mean, they're, they're definitely expected to be a pretty good team. Guys that they have returning this year. Uh, actually, I just had their page up. Let me go back to it real quick. Uh, the, the main guys that they have returning looks like Cassius Winston, um, Joshua Langford. They got a few other guys like Nick Ward that are, that are coming back. But, I mean, this is looking like it's going to be a, a pretty good team. Uh, the problem is, you know, there's, there's just not a lot, I think, that we can, can really tell about them. I was... Um, you know, over on Rock Chalk Talk, I am actually going to be reaching out to and getting some additional information from some of the guys over at the Only Colors, uh, which is the SB Nation site that covers Michigan State. But is, is there anything specifically that you're looking forward to in this matchup? Any any guys that you think you're going to match up 
specifically on certain KU players or anything like that? Well, it's, you know, last year, I don't think that there was a game all year where Kansas had the disadvantage uh, in the backcourt. And, uh, the, you know, right away, they might have a disadvantage in this one. Um, Cassius Winston, really, really good point guard. Um, shot almost 50% from three last year um, and took 153. So it's not like he's shooting, you know, 20 of them. Um, second best assist rate in the country. So he's a really good point guard. Um, obviously, he doesn't quite have the talent to pass to this year that he did last year. Um, but he's incredible and someone that Kansas needs to watch out for. Um, and then Joshua Langford um, had a really nice sophomore season uh, last year as well. Not as not as good of a, a two-point shooter, um, more of a three-point shooter, but, um, you know, definitely someone that Kansas needs to watch out for as well. So that's going to be a, a big um, a big matchup to watch. And then inside, you know, Nick Ward, uh, the number one offensive rebounder in the country last year in Kansas. You know, Dieter Glosson, I think, is a pretty good defensive rebounder. But uh, Yudok Azubuki really isn't. Um, so that's something where, you know, even with this new look, um, big offense or uh, big lineup, excuse me, uh, Kansas might have a little bit of trouble in this first matchup um, hitting the defensive glass. And then the other thing, too, with Michigan State is they took quite a few threes last year. Um, they don't, I don't think, have the same type of uh, shooting this year as they did last year. I mean, Jaron Jackson is gone. He shot like 40% on almost 100 attempts. Miles Bridges shot 36% on almost 200 uh, attempts and also shot um, like 40% as a freshman. Um, so they're, they're missing some weapons from three, but um, yeah. the aforementioned, you know, Cassius Winston and Josh Langford, and then uh, Matt McQuaid is a senior who uh, shot 39% from three last year and has that, is at uh, 38% for his career. Um, and like I said, you know, they take a ton of attempts um, or uh, excuse me, hang on. They don't take a ton of attempts is what I mean. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a, a matchup of, you know, Kansas gives up a ton of attempts um, or did last year. And I, I don't really think that that has changed. You know, the one kind of red flag for me in those exhibition games is they gave up quite a few three-point attempts. Um, some of them were, you know, guarded and some of them were pretty deep and stuff. But the fact of the matter is they're going to let you take those threes. Um, and so if Michigan State does take those threes. I mean, Kansas might find themselves in a, maybe not a Villanova situation, but uh, a situation where they give up more points than they, you know, quote unquote should. So that's going to be a, a little um, interesting stylistic matchup um, to say nothing of the talent that Michigan State has as well. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this. I mean, it's it's going to be a nice big test right off the bat, which should be fun to watch. Um, you know, Kansas really hasn't done very well in the Champions Classic in the past. Um, you know, they, I mean, they won the last two, uh, the last one against Kentucky last year and then against Duke the year before when Frank Mason just went ballistic. Uh, but in general, they don't, they don't typically play very well in this game. Uh, I don't know if it's just that the team hasn't gelled very much yet or other teams are, are somehow coming together a little bit quicker, but, um, I am a little worried about it being the first game though. Um, you know, Kansas seems to always get started slow. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the game and having a nice big matchup to start the season with, but I, I don't think Kansas is going to play as well in this one as they probably will need to, to, to really, you know, make a statement in this game and anything other than making a statement in this game. I think people are going to already start talking about, well, what's wrong with Kansas? Why aren't they, you know, as good as everybody thinks that they're going to be, um, Michigan state is no slouch. I mean, they they are a, going to be a good team this year. 
Um, they may not have quite the horses that most other people do, but they do have some pretty big guys coming back. Um, and you know, I, I never, I never really count Tom Izzo out. Um, he, he's a, he's a really good coach for a reason. He's been there a really long time and done a lot of really great things. So, uh, I'm not expecting, you know, Kansas doesn't have like the big, the big head, head coaching advantage or, uh, you know, really the only advantage they have in this one is the talent advantage. And like you said, there are some very specific things that, that Michigan state can really attack Kansas on and probably find some success. So, um, I'm not going to venture a guess at this point. We'll have our predictions article coming up probably Tuesday morning, um, over on rock chalk talk, but. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really very comfortable about this game. Like I'm not super confident in the outcome of this game. I do know that we're either going to see a really f- locked in and focused Kansas team, um, that's going to, you know, wow everybody, or they're going to look a little, a little bit in disarray and everyone's going to wonder what's, what's wrong with them. So, yeah. So a couple, a couple of quick things here, just a little background of the matchup. Um, Kansas, uh, currently three and four in the champions classic. Um, have not beaten Michigan State yet, which is kind of interesting considering I think, you know, everyone would probably agree they're the, you know, not the afterthought in the Champions Classic, but probably the weakest, you know, of the four programs. Um, they're the least the least um, lock to make this sort of event. Like Yes, yes. They, they are the last of the the four that you would think about. And, and to be honest, I think the only reason they get in is because they didn't want to have both Duke and North Carolina from the same conference in this. Event. Yeah. And I think, I think Roy doesn't want to play Kansas either as, as part of it as well. well. True. Um, so, yeah. So um, Kansas has not actually really played very well in, in this event. I mean, obviously they kind of got uh, unlucky by having to play um, the 2012 Kentucky champions. And then that 2015 team that um, was undefeated until they lost in the final four to Wisconsin. Um, but the, right. those two aside, you know, Probably the only game they, they played really well in um, was that first matchup against Duke, the Wiggins-Jabari Parker matchup. Um, they played pretty well uh, in that one and were able to, to pull away and win by 11 um, in that one. But even the you know the game they won on the Frank Mason shot against Duke uh, did not play very well. Obviously, last year against Kentucky was that 65-61 absolute rock fight that I never want to oh yeah. see referenced ever again. Um, but so quick... Quick uh, return to the first two uh, matchups against Michigan State before we wrap it up. Um, Kansas had a uh, seven-point lead with about 12 minutes to go uh, in the first one, and then uh, Michigan State outscored them 25-19 to 19 over the uh, last 10 minutes. Uh, Kansas went from about an 80% win probability uh, to zero in the last, like, five minutes of the game. Um, really gave it away down the stretch, which, um, you know, Kind of interesting because they had a pretty veteran team. I mean, that was the team that ended up, uh, they were a number one seed, um, although they obviously, you know, that was the, the team that lost to TCU, so they certainly were no stranger to to poor performance and, and kind of going stagnant on offense, and that's kind of what happened um, right. in that one as well. And then uh, the second one, uh, when they played Michigan State, um, they were ahead for pretty much, <laughs> pretty much the entire game. Um, they were up by six at halftime. Um, up by seven with uh, about five minutes left, uh, about 10 minutes left, excuse me. Uh, Michigan State outscored them uh, 26 to nine, 29 to 16, excuse me, uh, in the last fourth of that game. Um, Kansas went from uh, right around a 90% win probability um, all the way down to zero in that one. And that was the one where Denzel Valentine uh, went a little nuts. Uh, he had 29 points and, and 12 assists in that one. And 
Kansas didn't really have an answer for him, but uh, yet again, I mean, an, another game where Kansas kind of uh, wilted down the stretch against Michigan State. So uh, if it's a if it's a close one, or even if Kansas has a bit of a lead here in the last five minutes, uh, don't turn off your TV sets. Um, but also maybe you know change things up from what you were doing the last two times they played because obviously that didn't work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those. Unfortunately, my three biggest memories of playing against Michigan State were those two games where they just really gave the game away in both cases. And then the uh, the game in the tournament, uh, I believe it was an Elite Eight game to go to the Final Four where they were ahead and the, again, ahead in like the last two minutes and just gave it away at that point. Are you thinking of the, the one where uh, Kalen Lucas pretty much dominated Sharon Collins at the end? Pretty much, yeah. I, I believe yeah, that was the, right the uh, yeah, yeah, that was the the Sweet Sixteen, yeah, the year after they won the title, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. It was that more. It was that recent. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which, which, Ron. Um, for some reason, I was thinking it was it was older than that, but you're right. Yeah, it was definitely a little bit more recent. Well, yeah. that's. I mean, that's you know, ten years by now. Oh yeah, I know, I know, but. <laughs> For some reason, I had like 2005, 2006 stuck in my head somewhere. Sure. And I just realized, so wait a minute, those were the years that they got that they got out really early. So sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, so you know, I don't I don't have a lot of good memories playing against Michigan State. So hopefully, we can get a good win this time, and then I can you know start feeling a little bit better about having to play Izzo. So. Yeah. Well, you know, Kansas does have the most recent you know win. That was the second round two years ago when they won 90 to 70, and uh, I think it was kind of a, a close-ish game at yeah, halftime and then... that was again that was one they were really expected to win in though so again it sure, didn't have sure. quite the same stakes i don't think because sure michigan state was a big underdog in that game so all right so any other final thoughts before we get out here for the night no should i, should I do a prediction you're not going to do one uh I, I don't think i'm going to give a score prediction at this point if 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 you want to feel free but if you are planning on giving us a prediction over on rock chalk talk then yeah I, yeah okay i'll uh i'll be mean and i'll i'll save it <laughs> uh, I'll save I'll save a score position. I do think Kansas is probably going to win a, a close one, though. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I I learned doing all the football ones that if I if I you know wasn't ready to give a prediction uh, to not do it on a podcast because then I would feel boxed into that prediction if something changed my mind later. So um, it, it worked out for me when I called the TCU win because um, I kind of backed myself into a corner with that one and then had to stick with it, and it it, it worked out well. But I I really don't want to put myself in that situation again. So. Um, final, final thoughts here though. I was, you know, I, I, I mentioned it last time. Um, do you have a, uh, a random sports minute for us for this podcast? Is, is KU football random enough or no? We can, we can consider it to be random enough. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't normally comment on football matters cause I'm exactly far from an expert, but, um, thank God they finally fired him. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure he's a nice guy and, and all that stuff. So I, I kind of feel bad, you know, celebrating like that, but obviously, you know, he just isn't the, the right football coach for KU. Um, and I, I really hope they hire Jeff Munkin or a, or a triple option guy. Although if the less miles stuff is all true, um, I don't really see how you can say no to him. Um, but it really does seem, you know, uh, my, Fears as a KU fan aside, um, I definitely feel better with Jeff Long making this hire um, rather than Shea and Zanger. So um, I, I'm probably not going to be um, obsessively following this move as much as I followed the last two because the last two were more out of dread. And this one, I think I'm I'm legitimately excited to see who they go out and hire. Yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously as well, you know, we've had such disastrous ones last time. It, it, it really can't get any worse. Um 
you know, just knowing the kind of guy that Jeff Long is and what he's done previously, like it may not work out as well as we want it to, but it's definitely not going to be as bad as the last couple of hires we've had. So, um, you know, the one, the one thing I will say, I actually had mentioned this on the site, just kind of in one of the comments, I actually have been hearing a few rumblings, um, that while Les Miles is definitely kind of out there and seems to be interested, uh, it doesn't seem like they want him to be kind of their, their first choice. He's going to be a good fallback option for them if that's the way that they have to go. Um, but it definitely seems like they are more interested in talking with some guys like maybe like a Seth Luttrell, um, or maybe some of those, those other guys. I, you know, I haven't heard any of the triple option guys named anywhere. Um, but it definitely seems like they are exploring a lot more possibilities rather than just settling on the first guy that sounds like he might be good enough for the, for the job, which is definitely a positive improvement. Um, you know, this last, this last search that they had where they ended up with Beatty, it sounds like they, they went to one guy and thought he might be interested and threw everything into a single guy. Um, and when that didn't work out, they ended up settling for Beatty because they had nowhere else to go. Uh, and so it definitely, it definitely seems like the, the, the search is going to be a lot better this time, um, a little bit more coordinated and, and will definitely give us, I think, a, an, an improvement. How much of an improvement is still to be seen, but yeah, Mike and I were, were actually talking about that in the last segment that we'll, will will be on before in this episode. And um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a completely different than the last time we went through this process. So I'm, I'm actually excited for this, for this coaching hire, because like you said, you know, I, I have the confidence that they're going to, to actually get someone who's going to be decent enough to, to at least make us respectable. We may not be doing anything or, you know, winning, winning enough games to, to keep most people happy, but it won't be the absolute train wreck that it is right now. So, all right. Um, any other final thoughts you want to leave us with before you get out here for the night? No, I think we nailed it. Yeah, I think so too. So we will have to uh, get back and, and, and talk after this game against Michigan state. We'll have about a week after that one. Uh, so we can have plenty of time to kind of wrap that one up and get ready for the next one. Sound good. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks again, fetch. We'll talk to you later. Hey, thanks a lot. And that'll do it for today. Thank you guys for, for tuning in and listening. Obviously, we had a bunch to talk about. Um, but moving on from what happened over the weekend and then moving on into what's going to be happening, obviously, coming up this week. Uh, so since our last episode, we had a few things. Uh, Friday, well, starting on Friday, uh, Kansas Golf, the men's golf team, uh, started their final tournament out in Hawaii. Uh, that's where they're finishing up the season. We also obviously had the the football game that they lost. Swimming and diving took first um, up at Nebraska to meet there. The, the volleyball team beat Texas Tech three three sets to one on Saturday, and then Sunday uh, we have the Washburn. I'm sorry, we have Kansas women are playing their final exhibition against Washburn. Uh, that actually has already happened by the time of this recording. So, uh, but coming up we have. Uh, let's see, the the tennis team is hosting a tournament here in Lawrence, uh, the, the ITF 25K Lawrence. That's happening, I believe it started, yeah, it started today on Sunday, and it'll be running for a good portion of the week. So, um, But then we have, obviously, the game against Michigan State coming up that we just talk, got, got done talking about. Women's basketball has their season opener Wednesday, November 7th at 7 p.m., Again, at home against UMKC, that'll be on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, we'll see what we can do about having, uh, I know that we've been talking about it. We'll, we'll try to have Jill, Jill Dorsey Hall on the podcast sometime in the next week or two to see if we can, can't get a preview of the women's basketball and kind of a, a follow-up on how the volleyball season has been going. So, again, 
thank, thank you guys for joining me tonight. You can contact us online um, on, on Twitter at RockChalkPod. You can email us, RockChalkPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else you are getting your podcasts at. Uh, rate, subscribe, five stars would be great. would really appreciate it. So uh, one, once again, thank you guys for listening today, and we will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.